We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Bluffin. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm looking, to, looking forward to talking about my, my conference. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, looking forward to uh, this episode right now. We've, we've covered a lot of topics as it relates to the 2020 NFL Draft and you know as well as the Chicago Bears team as a whole going forward into this season uh, but for the remainder of the summer and this offseason period we're going to be changing our focus a little bit here looking forward to the 2021 NFL draft starting of course by covering the Big Ten Conference and some of the best players that will be playing in this upcoming 2020-2021 college football season you know, obviously, we're extremely early here in this process. There's there's just a lot going on right now, uh, especially with we don't really know how the college football season is going to look like, like even with uh, COVID-19 still around. Um, but if there is a season, we know there's going to be a lot of change in terms of who is rising and falling down draft boards um, as the season progresses. And, you know, for example, nobody was talking about Joe Burrow at this time last year. And you fast forward ahead to April with the draft, he's the consensus number one quarterback prospect, and he goes first overall. So that just so shows you how much we know at this point of time. But there are some really exciting players to talk about that we know will be in the conversation throughout the year. So we're going to be looking forward to talking about those guys in this episode here. So what we're going to do for these is look at the top prospects in each conference when you're looking at the top five big conferences in college football, as well as we'll do one episode on the smaller conferences throughout college football as well. You know, when you look at the top prospect in each conference, this is the guy with the most hype for going high in the draft, the guy with the highest draft stock as of right now, someone who's consensus going to be a first round type of talent in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft. And then before we get onto other prospects as well, you know, one thing we did different for this was we kind of did like a mini fantasy draft for which players we wanted to talk about um, for the Big Ten Conference here. And what we're going to be doing is talking about five players each that we're really looking forward to seeing specifically, uh, kind of keeping track of their development this upcoming year. So a lot of stuff to get into. Uh, we're going to get into this right away, but before we do that, we're going to take our first break of the show. 
The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Uh, starting off our conversation on the top Big Ten players in this upcoming college football season for the 2021 NFL Draft, I think we have to start with Justin Fields, quarterback from Ohio State. You know, he's one of the big three quarterbacks, so to speak, going into next year's draft class. When you look at Trevor Lawrence, obviously, at Clemson, and then even Trey Lance at North Dakota State. Uh, you know, Justin Fields had a big year last year for Ohio State in his first year as a starter after transferring over from Georgia. You know, last year he completed 67.2% of his passes for 3,273 yards, 9.2 yards per attempt, and a really ridiculous 41 touchdowns to three interception ratio right there. And two of those came in one game against Clemson to end the season. So for the majority of the year, he only had one interception throughout the regular season. Uh, just ridiculous production from Justin Fields. He has a lot of natural ability. And at six foot three, 223 pounds, he has the type of size and athletic profile that you're looking for in a modern day NFL quarterback. Uh, Alex, what was your impression of Justin Fields throughout last season? And what are some of the things that you're looking for in t- terms of his development going into his upcoming year? Yeah, I mean, uh, Justin Fields was incredible to watch. He was, he was dominant all season long. Um, I think he's 100% locked in as a top five pick. I think he probably goes off the board at fourth overall. Um, the one thing about him, though, is he doesn't really have the, the sexy arm strength that a normal guy or a normal quarterback who's locked in in the top five would go. But he's great in all our aspects of a, of a quarterback. So it's kind of just uh, a flaw that you have to live with because he does make up for it with his playmaking ability and his accuracy. Um, when I look at comparisons for fields, it's a, it's a little difficult for me, but two different guys very frequently pop into my mind, even though while they don't play that similarly, in the NFL, I do think uh, Fields is kind of a mix of the two of them. And those two guys are uh, Dak Prescott and Baker Mayfield. And I think that kind of also just describes where Fields can go as a player because I don't think due to his arm strength, he has any all-pro quarterback upside. I don't think he is capable of being one of those uh, game-breaking quarterbacks like Mahomes or Russell Wilson. You know, he doesn't have the the superstar potential that uh, Lance and Lawrence has. But also, I think he definitely has the the upside to be a top 10 NFL quarterback. And I think he will be a, or a, a good starting quarterback in the NFL. I'm just, I'm not sure he will uh, have the same ceiling that other guys have. So right now, if even he, if he was able to come out of college last year, which he wasn't, and ended up on the Bears this year, I'd be much more confident with him leading the Bears in a playoff game in 2020 than I would with current uh, Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, which I guess isn't saying much. But (laughs) I do have a lot of faith in Fields, but I need to see if he has some more arm strength. He needs to really prove that he's going to be able to get the ball to the wide receivers quicker and be more accurate at a long distance. Yeah, I think you made a lot of good points there when you kind of – breaking down fields and his potential in the NFL. You know, there's a lot to like about his game, a lot to like. The size, the physical profile is something that, you know, I I really like about his game. I think he's a pretty good decision maker overall. When you only throw three interceptions over the course of a season, that means you're doing a good job of making sure the ball isn't being put in harm's way. And his playmaking ability off schedule in terms of running with the football and picking up extra yards that way, uh, it's pretty, pretty fun to see. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm going to pump the brakes personally on calling him a, a can't-miss type of quarterback prospect that I've seen a lot of people throw around there uh, for Fields. I think he's a very good quarterback prospect. I'm just not ready to anoint him yet as this 
you know, next great quarterback that we're seeing with some people putting on the level of Trevor Lawrence right now, he's not on that level just yet of, of being a for sure, no doubt franchise quarterback type of prospect that Lawrence is. Um, even though Lawrence is a more flawed prospect than I think a lot of people give him credit for, which we'll get to later when we cover the ACC. But uh, sticking on the, uh, the subject of fields here, you know, when you look at fields as a prospect, you know, looking at his season at Ohio State last year, there were just a lot, a lot of areas where you could just see that he was just in this perfect ideal situation to have a great statistical season. Uh, you look at, from a talent perspective on Ohio State, they had a loaded roster. There's just a lot of talent all over the field. And, you know, it's like that as well at places like Alabama for Tua, LSU with Joe Burrow. They had a lot of talent, obviously. And then Clemson, they have a lot of talent surrounding Trevor Lawrence. But at Ohio State, there is just they, – they are clearly the most talented team in the Big Ten. And it was clear that every single team that they played against on their schedule leading up into uh, the national championship – you know, final four there, uh, they just did not have a chance in terms of matching them with pure talent. And I think one thing that kind of benefits him as well is the system that he's in at Ohio State started with Urban Meyer when he was the coach there. And, you know, now that Urban Meyer's gone, they still have a good system there for uh, these passers in this system there. You look at some of the quarterbacks that have come out of Ohio State over the past five years or so, you know, JT Barrett, he had a nice college career at Ohio State. Now, I wouldn't say he's necessarily a great NFL quarterback prospect. You know, he's kind of been a fringe backup throughout his career, but he put up some really good passing numbers at Ohio State. And he was a very productive player for them for quite a long time there for a good three or four-year stretch. Um, and he hasn't really done he – has, he hasn't translated simply to the NFL as of right now. And then look at Dwayne Haskins, who came out of last year's draft. I like Dwayne Haskins a lot, and I think he's going to be a good quarterback. You know, again, this is not to say that I don't think Justin Fields is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. It's just saying that the situation around him is very beneficial uh, for Fields. We look at Dwayne Haskins. He threw 50 touchdowns in his only year as a starter at Ohio State. And, again, some of that is the talent around them. Some of that is Haskins' natural ability as a passer. And some of that is a system that makes it a little bit friendlier for these quarterbacks to put up big time numbers in the system. So uh, when you look at field season, he was dominant throughout the entire way. He got injured late in the year, which kind of took away his mobility. And then we'll go into the Clemson game. And this is where uh, things started. You, you started to see some of the holes in this game, some of the flaws that were exposed when he went up against a team that had similar type of talent to Ohio state. You know, some of the things that I, I was looking for with fields is, you know, his processor, his ability to go past his first three, he's a little bit slow in getting through his progressions. And you saw that a lot of late throws in that game. Um, a lot of time where he's holding the ball unnecessarily long in the pocket that he's going to have to coach himself out of. Uh, the ball placement and accuracy is very hit or miss. You know, there were a lot of plays throughout the year where his receiver would be wide open on the field. And it should be a walk-in easy touchdown, but Fields underthrows it by – four or five yards which was catchable for the receiver and it goes down as a big completion on the stat sheet but those are plays in the NFL that are going to have to be better thrown balls because those those will be batted down in the at the NFL level or possibly intercepted at the NFL level those will not be big completions um just the arm tail in general like you talked about it isn't extraordinary it isn't a special type of arm uh that we're looking at with Justin Fields so Again, I think he's still a top 10 player overall in this class. I came out with a big board, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, that was, you know, got me a lot of comments about where I place field. I still have him as a top 10 player in this draft. I think he's really, really good. But again, is he an elite, an elite prospect at this point? I don't think so. I still have some question marks that need to be answered this upcoming year. Yeah, I mean, Fields, we both agree that uh, he's an elite prospect and being a lock to be a top three quarterback prospect in your draft class is usually quite the compliment, but people seem to be uh, quite defensive, defensive of Justin Fields. Um, I feel like it should not be in a very aggressive or hot take to say that Fields is not in the same breath as Trevor Lawrence, but 
still really freaking good, but for some reason that's just not enough for some people. Yeah, it's it's wild. And you know, I'll be interacting with people on Twitter and you know, seeing their takes on Justin Fields. And it's just very interesting. I think again, I think he's really, really good. And I'm not gonna diminish any of that going forward, but Again, I talked about the situation being beneficial for uh, Fields throughout the season. Just looking at the players surrounding him, you look at what he had on his defense, his defense last year. They only gave up 13.7 points per game, one of the best in the country. They never allowed more than 30 points in a single game. So he never had the pressure of, had, of having to win shootouts in the Big Ten or even when they went up against Clemson. Um, you look at some of the players surrounding him on offense, their offensive line was one of the best in college football. And it's going to be one of the best in college football next season. So you, you really weren't seeing him um, at a consistent level, having to deal with quick pressure and invading pressure, moving in the pocket, um, having to get the ball out of his hands quickly to avoid pressure. It was a lot of, you know, just standing there having all day to throw throughout the season. You, you look at Jonah Jackson, who was just drafted by the D Detroit Lions in the third round coming out of Ohio State as a guard, you know, he might have been their third most talented guard prospect on that team last year. They have two guards going into this year that are really, really talented. They're going to be high picks uh, whenever they decide to uh, be draft eligible. Um, so they have just have a lot of talent up front to help them out. And then they have some pretty good wide receivers as well. Chris Olave is a guy who's going to be coming back to school. Uh, he's going to be a, another wide receiver prospect in this upcoming class. K.J. Hill, who we both liked as a slot wide receiver, uh, seventh-round pick to the Los Angeles Chargers in this past draft. And then J.K. Dobbins, of course, out of the backfield. You know, got 2,000 rushing yards out of him. Uh, just a beast out of the backfield. So, uh, yeah, just – again, there were a lot of things that helped him out be, to be successful as he was. But, again, he's still a really good prospect. There's no, de no debating that. Yeah, he's – He's, he's the interesting case, and it, I, it's really more of a battle of him versus Lance for the number two uh, quarterback spot than it is him versus Lawrence for the one spot. Yeah, and I'll pose this question because I agree. I think Lance and Fields should be the discussion, not Fields and Lawrence necessarily. But as of right now, who, I mean, we're going to get to Lance, you know, in, in a couple episodes coming down the road, but – as of right now, who would you take between Fields and Lance at, at this moment? I'm taking Lance on the upside. What about you? Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I think it's really close, but I had Lance graded above Fields so far on, on my big board, and uh, yeah, that's where I kind of have him right now. I think I think Lance has – again, we're going to talk about him later, but I think Lance has a little bit more arm talent than Fields. There's a little bit more upside there. Obviously, the uh, – the level of competition is a, is a big concern for me, but it's going to be an interesting thing to follow all year long because you have three really good quarterbacks, um, three guys that I think when you compare the top three quarterbacks in this in this upcoming class to this past year's class, it's very interesting because I, I could make the argument that the 2021 draft has a better top three quarterback trio than it is or was in 2020. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that just because uh, I'm not a big Herbert guy at three, and I think all three of the guys currently in this draft are better than Herbert, and I I would trust Lawrence more than Burrow, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say I trust Lawrence over Burrow. I think Lawrence is most more talented player. Again, we're going to be covering him in the ACC episode, but uh, – yeah, I mean, Burrow was just – and Burrow – the thing with Burrow was he was just a – it was a crazy uh, thing to see him just kind of that meteoric rise coming out of nowhere. And, that, and that's the thing that all these guys that we're going to be talking about, they have the potential to improve. So Justin Fields, we're talking about – I'm talking about his struggles with accuracy and, and processing right now. All that stuff could change throughout the year. He could get significantly better at that stuff. He has the physical skill set to where there is a lot to build off of there. So I think when anyone, you know, is going to question fields, I think they get, you got to put that caveat in there that there is a potential, there is the room to get better and just kind of a wait and see thing to, to see how he develops throughout the year and, 
And that's what kind of gets me excited to, to watch him going into 2020, 2021. So as we mentioned earlier, we had a, a nice little fantasy draft over who we wanted to cover. And I was blessed with the first overall pick and kind of a surprise pick. I took uh, Patty Fisher, inside linebacker out of Northwestern, which while he's not uh, one of the Big Ten's many locks to get drafted in the first round, I, I think he's an extremely interesting prospect. And I think he's a potential great fit for the Chicago Bears. So uh, Patty Fisher, he stands at 6'4", 245, which is – that's a big uh, inside linebacker, which is a, a nice tackling presence in the inside that the monsters of the midway are used to having. So in uh, 2017 and 2018, he had two incredible years combining for 227 tackles and 14 sacks, a uh, little banged up in 2019, didn't really perform like expected. And I thought he was going to go in the second round of this year's draft, but he's going to end up uh, having another year. So he's going to round up his senior year at Northwestern. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how he performs with that Northwestern football team, not being as good as it was in the 17 and 18 years where he really thrived with the defense. Um, something that's uh, impactful about Patty Fisher is the fact that he could probably step onto quite a few NFL teams and be their leading tackler day one. And I think that's just because he has great instincts and also a, a big size and high football IQ, which does, that's honestly what I think is the number one most important parts of a, a linebacker. But I also see him dropping in the draft, which I think puts him in play for the Bears to take him to be kind of the heir apparent to Danny Trevathan, who I think he plays a lot similarly to. And the main issue with Fisher is the fact that um, he doesn't really thrive in coverage like we want all of our uh, modern-day linebackers to do. So he, he may fall but he would really thrive if he was able to play next to a guy like Roquan Smith. I think he would be able to really show off his positive traits and hide his negative athleticism. Whereas if there was two inside linebackers and both of them were Patty Fisher, I, I think you'd have a little bit of problems in the modern day NFL. Yeah. We, we've seen that trend where uh, you want linebackers to be more athletic and, and rangy. And you still need those those traditional inside backers, though, that can take on blocks and shed them and just be a physical presence uh, in the middle of your defense. And, you know, if there's one thing I think the Bears are kind of missing here is that Danger Faith and Roquan are, are kind of – they kind of fit the modern mold of having those kind of lighter and more athletic linebackers that can play sideline to sideline and play fast and play in coverage a little bit more. And, and you want those. You want those three-down linebackers and – you know, that might be something that drops Patty Fisher in the draft to be more that two-down uh, run-stopping type of linebacker. But with that said, I mean, we saw with Nick Kukowski over his years with the Bears that even though he was a little bit of a liability earlier on in his career in coverage, you know, he showed that with proper fundamentals and, and instincts and, and getting coached up that you can work around that, uh, those lack of physical athletic traits to to be able to stop mismatch problems in the NFL at, at these receiving positions, whether it be tight ends or running backs out of the backfield. Um, you know, Patty Fisher, he might be a guy that maybe he's just a two down guy. You take off for nickel and dime packages um, to give maybe another safety on there. But, you know, for the first two downs, he's a guy that I, I agree could be a very impactful uh, run defender for any defense really. Yeah, he, he would definitely uh, be a day one game changer in run defense. So maybe he's more of a, a David Gettleman guy. But <laughs> personally, I think he could really develop into more. And he, he could be a, a, a nice leader in a defense. So that's someone that I just would like to keep an eye on. And as you said, see if he can develop a little bit more in the uh, pass defense. Well, one player that I don't think will be an issue for – being a three-down linebacker in the NFL is a guy that I got with my first pick, and that's Micah Parsons, linebacker 
out of Penn State. Just looking at uh, his numbers, last season alone, 109 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, five sacks, five pass deflections, and four forced fumbles. I mean, it, it goes without saying, he's one of the elite, elite prospects in this class, a top five player in this draft for me. He is just a special athlete at the linebacker position. And what's interesting about him is that he played defensive end in high school. So if you really wanted him to, he could be an edge rusher and probably still be a first round prospect. He's six foot three, 245 pounds with pretty good length. So he could definitely fill that role on the edge. And, you know, you can see it in his games. He has an ability to bend as a pass rusher uh, when he's blitzing and he can make these offensive linemen just look silly at times uh, on these blitzes. But where he's really played best is, as his versatile chess piece at pretty much any linebacker spot, he can play. He can play that weak side linebacker and use his speed sideline to sideline. He can play middle linebacker. He can play strong side and take on blocks at a high rate. You know, in a 4-3 or 3-4 scheme, doesn't really matter. I mean, heck, he can even play strong safety type of hybrid role as well with his speed and athleticism. There's just, there's just so many things that you can do with him um, in terms of his ability to play a variety of different roles. You know, he's not quite as versatile as Isaiah Simmons, who was, you know, our top linebacker in this past draft. You know, he, you know, with Simmons, he's the type of guy who he was kind of like a, a pseudo slot quarterback or playmaking. He could do it all in the back seven with, with Simmons. He's not quite, you know, we look at Parsons, he's not quite that special of an athlete, you know, where Simmons could play safety, he could play cornerback, he played in the slot, he could play – you know, linebacker, he play all, all, all over the field. That's not where what Parsons is, but in terms of just playing any linebacker spot in any scheme, he's, he's the perfect guy to do that. Uh, his tackling radius is just ridiculous. Some at the sideline, like I mentioned, uh, his speed and his instincts allow him to make plays all over the field. He can get to plays on stretch runs and pitches out there that you rarely see linebackers do in terms of getting to the outside on those running plays. And his instincts are really, really fantastic when he's shooting gaps, getting into the backfield uh, to stop running backs in, in the backfield there. A lot of good stuff. And like I said, the strength to be able to shed blocks and play linemen at the point of attack, to hold his ground, a lot of good stuff here. There's, there really aren't many negatives in his game um, other than maybe nitpicky stuff here and there. Uh, he could be a little bit more consistent in coverage maybe. And his tackling uh, does need a little bit of work sometimes. He can, he can be a little bit inconsistent there, but I think all those things can be uh, coached up and, and improved upon over time. Um, when you're just looking at a physical prospect, Parsons is really, really impressive. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that you, uh, you brought up Isaiah Simmons because I was going to bring up with Parsons that I I personally would much rather have a, a linebacker like Micah Parsons than Isaiah Simmons. I think Parsons is pretty much my uh, my Frankenstein of uh, linebacker prospects, what I look for. Um, it's actually interesting that right up there with them this year, we're going to have two, I think, top 10 inside linebackers, or I should just say linebacker prospects, and in Parsons and Dylan Moses. Those two are two just full packages that – not only do they have every aspect that you want in an inside linebacker, but also they have at least one specific aspect that they really specialize and thrive in. Yeah, and having that all-around skill set is so important for today's NFL where you want those three down linebackers. You, you need those guys on the field as much as possible because it does so much for your defense. I mean, we talk about a guy like Leonard Floyd being valuable for the Bears in terms of giving them flexibility in their defenses over the years as a coverage linebacker on the edge. Uh, well, now you look at a guy like Parsons, who gives you that aspect from the inside position more so, and it just gives you a lot of flexibility because he can cover in terms of his physical skill set, and you don't have to take him off the field for anything. You can play any formation with him on the field, um, and he can handle all the responsibilities needed for the linebacker position. So, yeah, I like the point you make about Isaiah Simmons maybe not being as good of a prospect as Parsons because Parsons is a little bit bigger. He's a guy who can play in the box a lot better than uh, Simmons. And, and Simmons, you know, without goes without saying, I, I love Simmons as a prospect. I think he's going to be a, an all-pro type of talent for the Cardinals there, uh, depending on how they use him. But 
you, go, you can see it when you were watching Clemson last year that Simmons kind of struggled to play at the point of attack against bigger offensive linemen. Uh, when they did get their hands on him, that's not the case with Parsons. If you get your hands on Parsons, he has the muscle to be able to hold his ground and still make the play on the ball carrier. So uh, there's just a lot of stuff that I like about Parsons and really looking forward to seeing if he can put it all together once again this next year and really play up to his potential because it's, it's a sky high type of ceiling with him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely a, a special prospect and I was, I was hoping to be able to, to use him as one of my covers, but I, I reached on Patty Fisher instead. Well, in terms of another, another player that you were able to get with your second pick, uh, who was the next guy that uh, you wanted to cover? Yeah, so uh, this this ended up being a, a snake draft, and you you took the person who was next on my <laughs> list, so I went with his uh, quarterback instead. So I went with Tanner Morgan, the quarterback out of Minnesota last season. He was very impressive with a 66% uh, completion percentage for 3,253 yards over 10 yards per attempt, 30 touchdowns and seven picks. Uh, yeah, he was, he was definitely the, the second best quarterback in the big 10 last year. And he'll keep that spot going into the big 10 this season. And honestly, I'm not sure if this is a hot take or not, but I think Tanner Morgan is the number one most accurate quarterback in this NFL draft class, which Sounds pretty crazy to say out loud, and right now I have him as the number four quarterback prospect, but personally I'm not sure if he's going to stay there just because he's not the sexiest quarterback prospect, and he honestly has a – uh, I don't want to say a pretty low ceiling, but I think his, the very best NFL player he could go on to be is uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I do think they approach the game very similarly. And we just need to see this season if Tanner is really able to take that next step and prove that he has a second-plus skill uh, other than accuracy, whether that be uh, more advanced uh, reading of the defense and audibling or having a little more threat from his feet or even just developing more of a, a deep ball threat because those are all different aspects of Morgan's game that he hasn't really been showing. So it'll be interesting to see how, how he progresses as a quarterback or if he's just already where he will end up. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, Teddy Bridgewater was a, a nice ceiling of sort for Tam Morgan going forward. You know, just for a spoiler alert, you know, the guy that, that will be my player to cover coming up next is Rashad Bateman. Uh, wide receiver for Minnesota, who I stole from Alex, it appears. But, uh, uh, you know, Morgan really benefited, I think, from the talent around him at Minnesota last season. They have a really talented offense there uh, with him, Tyler Johnson, and and uh, Rashad Bateman as well. But uh, Morgan, we were kind of talking about this when uh, we were picking our players to cover. He kind of reminded us both of Kirk Cousins a little bit. And, you know, there's a little bit of connection there with, Tanner Morgan playing at Minnesota and then Kirk Cousins being the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. So it was kind of like a similar skill set there, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, Morgan, I don't know if he's a guy that I'd be willing to put my foot in the ground and say he's a starting level prospect at this point, but I think there is a place for him in the NFL as a backup. And there's definitely, you, you need backups in the NFL. I mean, backup quarterbacks is something that, uh, we've seen a lot of times with these teams over the years. So the Lions last year, they didn't have a backup quarterback that was capable enough when Matthew Stafford went down, and their season was just over at that point. So maybe you got like Tanner Morgan, he can start off at his career as a quality backup, maybe work his way into being a low-end type of starter. Like you said, maybe a Teddy Bridgewater type of guy. I could definitely see that happening. You know, he doesn't really have a great physical tool set, but you can tell by the way he plays the game and the way he throws the ball that, uh, he can definitely work in the NFL with a proper system and a proper proper coaching staff around him. Yeah, um, it, I'm just 
I have him pegged in at fourth. I'm I'm curious where you have him pegged in in terms of quarterback rating rankings, but I I think he's going to end the season as more of a uh, quarterback six on the board, just because there are some intriguing options who I think might might break out, and I just don't see Morgan as a breakout. It's more of just proving that last year's uh, extremely high performance wasn't a fluke. Yeah, I can't. It's tough for me because this quarterback class, once you get past the top three, it's kind of it's kind of a game of which tools and which traits do you prefer in a quarterback and what do you think could be molded um, at the NFL level. There, there really isn't that one guy that kind of stands out to you, and that's why you have a guy like Morgan right now ranked as your number four quarterback. But even like you said, he could work his way down the list uh, just because it, there's there isn't a, the highest ceiling with Morgan, I think. And right now, it's just t- it's just really tough to decipher who that next that fourth or fifth quarterback is right now and for this upcoming draft. Um, so there's just kind of a waiting game for you know who's going to step up in this next season. But for me, right now, I don't know. I, I have him kind of in that five to seven range. You know, it's very fluid. There's a lot of quarterbacks in, in the mix there, but. It'll just kind of depend on what I see from him um, in 2020, 2021. And a lot of that will be helped out by the next guy that I'm covering that I talked about earlier, Rashad Bateman, who had a big season for the Gophers last season, 60 receptions, 1,219 yards, 11 touchdowns, 20.3 yards per catch. So that is ridiculously efficient. I talked about this a little bit earlier when when it came to Morgan, but, you know, Bateman and Tyler Johnson, who's, you know, a late-round pick in this past year's class, a guy that got a lot of love on draft Twitter as a potential sleeper in this past year's draft, uh, they formed one of the best wide receiver duos in college football last season. It has to be around top five, I'd say. And that's saying a lot because there is a lot of wide receiver talent in college football right now. I mean, we talked a lot about last year's class being a special class. This upcoming crop of wide receiver talents going into the 2021 draft could be just as good, if not better, than last year's draft wide receivers. And, and I think personally, Bateman is the much better prospect than Johnson in terms of comparing the two. So when I look at Bateman, he's a guy that is a legitimate first-round talent at wide receiver. He's a smooth route runner. He knows how to set up defenders. He knows how to get open and kind of use leverage to – kind of fake defenders out into which way he's going to go with his route. He's very crafty in that aspect of his game. He's got very good hands as well. He's very aggressive on those kind of contested catches over the middle of the field and on jump balls. You know, and I like his ability to pick up yards after the catch as well. He's a guy that can really make the most out of those short passes on screens, slants, crossing routes. Um, That's where a lot of his explosive plays came in that area of the field where he's getting the ball short and he's just making something out of it. And there's just a lot to like about him. He has a lot of traits where you think that he could be a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Now, he doesn't really stand out in terms of his size. He, he's only 6'1", 210, which, I mean, he's, he's got a well-built frame, uh, but he isn't a, you know, a big hulking wide receiver that will just be uber-physical and dominate smaller quarterbacks at the uh, line of scrimmage. He's not the type of player like that. One thing that I, I mean, when you look at Bateman, a lot of his, uh, he's not a deep threat necessarily either. He's not a, a super fast guy. So a lot of his big plays are kind of taking advantage of coverage busts down the field. But one thing I always notice with him is that he always seems to be open. And those guys are, if you're going to get open in college and get good separation in college, that should translate well to the NFL, regardless of your athletic base ability. Yeah, and you, I, I do think that uh, Bateman is going to be a either a, a mid to late first round draft pick or an early second round draft pick, which is which is impressive coming out of the, the Big Ten, where teams don't throw as much as some of the other spread offense conferences, like say the Big Twelve. And it's interesting because you kind of monopolize the two first round wide receivers for the Big Ten. So why don't you uh, introduce the next one for me? Yeah, and, and that next first-round talent at wide receiver in the Big Ten is Rondale Moore, wide receiver out of Purdue. 
Now, he did not have a lot of games to go off of in 2019 due to injuries. But in 2018, when he was healthy, he had 114 receptions, 1,258 yards, 12 touchdowns, and 11 yards per catch. And Moore is just – he is such a fun player to watch. He, he's quite possibly the best wide receiver in all of college football right now when it's ter- in terms of getting yards after the catch. Uh, that's, that's prototypical yak guy. Um, he is almost built like a running back. And when he gets the ball in his hands, he plays like a running back too. He's very hard to bring down once you get him the ball in space. He's got explosive speed. He gets up to top speed very quickly as well. So he's not just a – he isn't a build-up type of guy. He's a guy who's really fast at top speed, and he gets the top speed very quickly. And he's got that kind of quick twitch athleticism to where he can string moves together. He's kind of like uh, kind of like a, a guy in, in Madden, a character in Madden where you can just juke defenders out of their shoes really easily, at least in the older Madden days where you could actually – you know, had freedom of movement in your players a little bit, but um, he is very fun to watch in terms of him just making defenders look silly in the open field. And and when you do get your hands on him, he's got enough strength to where he can break a few tackles. If you're a defensive player and you're not properly squared up to him or you're not breaking down and, and using proper technique, he has the muscle to be able to plow through you and pick up extra yards, even though he's not the biggest player. Um, and he's just one of those guys to where, with all that said, you know, anytime you get him the ball, he has the capability to score whenever you get him the ball on short passing routes, screens, jet action, all that stuff. Uh, he is a threat to always score whenever you get him the ball. Um, but there are some things to kind of point out about him as a prospect to, you know, we kind of said that he might be a first round pick. He might not be a first round pick. And it's because when you look at him, he's not a traditional wide receiver in the sense he's more of a slot wide receiver gadget type of guy at this point in his career. You know, he lacks the prototypical size that you'd want. He's really undersized really at five foot nine, 175 pounds about, and his injury history is going to be the major red flag. I think for teams that kind of had to deal with, you know, he was healthy for the most part throughout 2018. He had a few minor uh, injuries here and there, but he didn't really miss any time. But in this past year, he missed eight games to finish 2019 due to a bad hamstring. So that's something that is going to be worth monitoring throughout the year. Can he stay healthy throughout the season? Is he a guy that can last 16 and eventually 17 games in the NFL? Um, that's something that, that he can do yet. And if he can do that this upcoming year, that would do a world of things for his draft stuff. Yeah, as you said, uh, hamstring's uh, a scary uh, illness to have when the number one thing your game uh, depends on and almost exclusively is his explosiveness. So uh, hopefully that hamstring is kind of a one-off thing and he'll be able to be healthy all of 2020. But yeah, Rondell Moore is something special to watch. He's honestly the, the only college wide receiver that I watched and thought, Oh, like, this guy looks like Tyree Kill. He's honestly the only player who I've ever kind of gotten Tyree Kill vibes from, and uh, that's an impressive um, that's an impressive comparison because we all know that Tyree Kill is a, a game-changing player and a pretty unique player. So Rondell Moore, if he goes to an offense that is able to use him correctly, I think he could be a game-changing player. But as you said, there there are some uh, red flags and he can't play a traditional wide receiver role. So it'll be interesting to see because I think he could either get drafted as some say way too high and in the around 10 to 15 range. And I could also see him dropping out of the first round, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of to move things along here, um, moving away from the skill position players that we've covered uh, for our first couple of players here. Uh, your next guy was a classic in the trenches type of player. Uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, this left tackle that you, you're looking forward to watching develop throughout next year. Yeah, I went with uh, Alaric Jackson, uh, left tackle out of Iowa. And this dude is just an absolute beast. 6'6", 320. That's 
that that's a big man and he he played left tackle over Tristan Wirfs who was over at right tackle which uh that's a great sign and he was second team all big 10 in both 2018 and 19 he was banged up last year and he was fighting through some knee injuries and when you have knee injuries at uh 6'6 over 300 pounds that is scary because it's more likely that it's going to to stick with you but at the same time, he was one of the top tackles in the Big Ten, which I think is the best offensive line conference. And he was even fighting through this knee injury last season and still getting awards for it. His play looked a little sloppier in 19 than it did in 18. But at the same point, if he's able to just clean up his form a little bit more in 2020 and stay healthy all season, I do think he's going to get drafted in the first round. Yeah, knee, knee injuries and, and lower body injuries in general are kind of scary for offensive linemen because they're they're big dudes, man, and they they put a lot of weight on their lower extremities. So, any any time these guys start to get nagging knee injuries or, or injuries in their lower body, it is a little bit of concern. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Jackson maybe being a better fit at guard. What would you what would you say to uh, that type of thinking there? I I don't know if he's a better fit at guard. I do think he's definitely going to have to move from off of left tackle to right tackle. Um, he would be an absolute mauler at guard, but I, I I think he can play tackle in the NFL. Absolutely. So with that said, I think we we got each got two more prospects to cover coming up here. We're going to take our final break of the show though before getting to that. So uh, we're going to take one final break here. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Going to be finishing up our episode here by covering our final two prospects, each that we've been wanting to talk about. And uh, Alex, you know, I'll start off with you first uh, with your fourth prospect to cover. And this is a guy you talked about, Rashawn Bateman, being a guy that uh, you wanted to, to cover quite a bit. Uh, this next guy, the guy that you're covering, when I saw that you drafted him, uh, I was – not happy because I really wanted to cover this guy. He's a really, really interesting player. Tell me a little bit about uh, this quarterback from Ohio State. Yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, Sean Wade, cornerback out of Ohio State, the fact that he dropped because I think he's going to be the uh, the third Big Ten player off the board uh, after Fields and Parsons because he, he's one hell of a player. and. I'd like to start this off by saying that Ohio State is definitely the modern-day DBU, and I don't know how much there's an argument about it. I mean, when you go back further in time, I think then uh, Texas and uh, LSU have a little bit more of an argument. But if you're saying just current, uh, no one's able to, to keep up with the production OSU's had. The craziest thing about Sean Wade was that he was slated to play as a true freshman at Ohio State before he was sidelined for injury, which, as I just said, it was DBU, and he almost played as a true freshman. That is absurd. Um, in 2019, he had his first full-on big year, and he was kind of shoved into the nickel role, but I, I don't think that was due to him not being able to play the outside, more to the fact that uh, Jeff Akuda, who is the unquestioned best cornerback prospect in this draft and probably the best cornerback prospect in the past five years, and then also uh, Damon Arnett, who was a uh, fellow first-round pick. They, they had the outsides locked down, so Wade was more just put in the nickel just so that Ohio State could always have uh, – their best players on the football field. And Sean Wade, while he was in the nickel, I think he was the best tackling cornerback in the NCAA, which that, that shows a lot. And he has great football instincts. Honestly, he's, he's pretty great at every single aspect of being a corner. Besides, I really think he struggles in press coverage. I don't think he's honestly able to, 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 play it right now at the NFL level I think he would get burned in press almost every time and perhaps that's just because uh, as a nickel corner you don't you don't play press coverage as much so perhaps he was just 
a little more uncomfortable when he was doing it, but that's something that he definitely needs to work on this season. And, and if he's able to show a legitimate improvement in press coverage, I think he could be the number one cornerback off the board in the 2021 draft, which that would be an impressive feat. And if not, he's still a first round cornerback, but he might just drop due to some, some nickel risk. Yeah, and I think with Sean Wade, if anything, I think his uh, experience playing nickel actually helps him in terms of draft stock because nickel is becoming a more and more uh, important position in the NFL with how many teams run three wide receiver sets at such a high rate. Uh, you need a quality nickel cornerback in the modern-day NFL with all these passing offenses. So Sean Wade, I think having that experience playing the nickel, even though you prefer him to be an outside type of guy, uh, nickel is going to help him a little bit too because it is really tough to find those nickel cornerbacks coming out in terms of that can play right away because nickel is just a very hard position to translate to the NFL right off the bat as a rookie uh, because there's just so much for these guys to kind of work on. And Sean Wade having that experience, that really helps him out in that department. But, yeah, I think you said it, though. In terms of the physical ability, he has all the athleticism and size that you want in a modern-day uh, NFL quarterback on the outside. It's just a matter of getting that press up to snuff. And uh, I like that you mentioned his tackling because maybe his most um, famous moment last year in college was the targeting hit he had on on Trevor Lawrence who was coming on that blitz, which, you know, I don't know how you're feeling about, about this, but for my, you know, first initial viewing of it, I didn't think it was a targeting hit. That wasn't targeting. No, no <laughs> way. It, but it does show that he's a guy who's willing to get physical and, uh, you know, not afraid to get his nose in there and make a play against the run or even on on blitzes. Yeah, and honestly, I I feel kind of weird saying it just because, I mean, cornerbacks are way more valuable, and I think he should stay at quarterback, and I think he's unquestionably good enough to stay at quarterback, cornerback. But also, I think I think Sean Wade would be one hell of a safety. I think he would absolutely thrive at the position, but at the moment, corner is a more valuable position in the NFL, so he's going to stick there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And if you were to play safety, one guy that he'd have to go up against in the NFL, and even in college, if he were to play safety in, in college, would be Pat Fryermuth, my my fourth guy for uh, this, this episode here. Tight end out of Penn State. When you look at Fryermuth, you know, looking ahead to this 2021 NFL draft, there's a lot of talk in this past draft that the tight end class wasn't very good. And that was definitely reflected with Cole Komet being the only tight end selected in the first two rounds. Uh, that is not the case for this 2021 draft. This upcoming draft is loaded with tight end talent, or at least projected to be loaded with tight end talent. And Fryermuth might just be the best of the bunch. He's a guy at six foot five, 250 to 260 pounds, kind of that prototypical size that you want from modern day tight end but he has the receiving skill set and athleticism to play all these modern receiving roles outside just being an inline guy as well we look at his statistics from last year he had 43 receptions 507 yards seven touchdowns on 11.8 yards per catch and interestingly enough in only two years as a player at Penn State despite not having a large share of targets throughout his career at Penn State. He's actually tied the Penn State record amongst tight ends for receiving touchdowns in a career with 15. So this is a guy that has been extremely productive despite not getting a ton of attention um, in his own passing game. And there's just a lot to like about his upside going into the NFL. And this is one of the reasons why um, when we were talking about this tight end class and, and the Bears drafting Cole Komet, why um, I, we were kind of – I won't say I won't speak for you in this instance, but I know for me, you know, I was looking forward to this upcoming year's tight end class as something where the Bears could attack uh, addressing the position long term. But just because uh, there's just so much talent here, when you look at Fryermuth, his receiving skill set is very polished, and he is ready as an NFL receiver in terms of his ability to run routes uh, right away. He run routes runs routes like a wide receiver in many cases. He has the speed to outrun linebackers and that size that we talked about to box out safeties, it, it just makes them a, a complete mismatch problem. And, and you saw that throughout the year at Penn State. They moved him around all over the place along the formation. He was 
played inline tight end. He played in the backfield as like a pseudo fullback to a degree as a move tight end. He would play in the slot. He played on the boundary as a wide receiver of sorts on the outside. Uh, just a lot, a lot of ways to kind of move him around and, and make use of his versatility as a route runner. And he has very soft hands to complement that as well. He makes a lot of contested catches, a lot of jump ball catches. Uh, there's just a lot to like about his game from a receiving skill set. Uh, he does need to continue to work on his blocking, as do most tight ends in college, but he definitely isn't a liability there. Uh, it, it definitely isn't a strength of his game, but his blocking should be something that can be improved upon, I think, at the NFL level. Uh, you know, in terms of what role he would fill with the Bears, if he could play at the U or even the Y even, I think, uh, probably a better off at the U because he isn't quite as big as a guy like Cole Komet. But uh, he's a guy that you can play pretty much anything you want from him at that tight end position. Just a really, really good prospect coming up here. Yeah, and he, he's definitely a, a good tight end prospect. I like him a lot. And honestly, I, I think not only was he – would if he could have went last year in the NFL draft, I think he would have been the first tight end off the board even a year younger. But I think he's, he's posed for a breakout. I think this year he'll, he'll really jump off the page, which will, which will bring him into the first round for sure, I think. But as you kind of alluded to earlier, while 2020 was uh, a weak NFL tight end draft class, I think this next season – it's the best draft class for tight ends in my recent memory. There's, there's already seven tight ends on my radar that would be in the top two or three of this current season's draft, which while that's not saying much, as in the, there wasn't a lot of competition with Cole Komet as the top uh, tight end. Uh, we had Adam Troutman, but he was more of a project tight end uh, this class that's coming in is really good, and I I ended up taking a tight end with my last pick, and that was uh, Jake Ferguson, a tight end out of Wisconsin, 6'5", 245. And honestly, he's pretty much uh, the same as Pat from Penn State, but just less athletic. So he still has uh, – he has great hands and honestly just unbelievable ability to – evade tacklers and just make them miss and uh, add some extra yards after catch which isn't usually a, a typical skill for tight ends uh, outside of the occasional uh, overpowering smaller uh, dbs and one thing if you've watched uh, wisconsin this game this year is that it's pretty much a rule for mainstream media so anytime espn or Fox or someone like that is covering a Badger game. They're required to say that Jake Ferguson is uh, Barry Alvarez's, uh, the AD of Wisconsin's grandpa. So had to throw that in there to just so that we can comply, comply and count as a mainstream media outlet. But, uh, but Ferguson, as a freshman, was brutal quarterback play from Alex Hornerbrook. He had 450 yards and four touchdowns, which – Freshman wide or freshman tight ends are are rarely ready, and he showed kind of being uh, rarely ready to block on the NCAA uh, spectrum and as a freshman. But last year he stepped up a lot in the blocking department. He was definitely able to to hold his own, but he definitely needs to uh, step forward if he wants to be considered a a blocking tight end in the NFL. So. Right now, this it's just going to come down to, is he going to have that breakout that everyone expected last year and everyone's expecting this year to uh, be able to go into this uh, elite, in my opinion, tight end class? Because with a class this deep, there might be a lot of people like Jake Ferguson who would, in a traditional year, leave for the NFL, but a guy who would typically have a second or a third round grade like Ferguson might end up uh, going in the fourth or the fifth due to just the, the sheer amount of talented tight ends and not as many roster spots to fill with tight ends that aren't really going to be able to contribute year one because tight ends rarely do. Yeah, I know you're a, a diehard Badgers fan, but and you're going to defend him a little bit because he's a former Badger, but, man, I, I just got to say, watching Alex Hornibrook play quarterback was uh... – not for the faint of heart. 
Oh, I will not defend Alex Hornibrook. <laughs> he throws ducks left and right. It was horrible to watch, but luckily we have a defense, an offensive line, and a running back. <laughs> well, yeah, they were able to make it work, I guess, to a degree with him at quarterback, I guess. But uh, didn't really do Ferguson, I guess, any favors then, I guess, uh, as, a, as a prospect there. But uh, my last guy is a Michigan guy, and that's Aiden Hutchinson who's kind of a tweener between edge and defensive line uh, over there at Michigan. And he kind of plays a very similar role that Rashawn Gary played when he was over there a couple years ago. First round pick of the Packers didn't really do much this past year. Um, But when you look at Hutchinson and what he was asked to do uh, for that defense, he plays pretty much all along the line of scrimmage for them. And uh, when you look at his stats for that, for this past season, 69 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, and at six, 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 six foot six, 280 pounds. I mean, you can kind of see that this, this that type of frame, that type of uh, ability to kind of be a tweener <clears throat> definitely, definitely fit the, the prototype for that in terms of the physical aspect there. So when you look at Hutchinson and what he did for the Michigan defense, you know, there were going to be some packages throughout the year where he would be a defensive end on base downs in a four, three or three, four scheme, depending on, uh, the type of formation or type of team that they were facing there. Uh, he would often play in the three tech or even some nose tackle and sub packages and on passing downs. And, you know, unfortunately this did not lead to him necessarily getting a ton of production uh, because of how much he was moved around and how much attention he'd have from posing offensive linemen. But there was a good amount of disruption on his tape that I saw. And a lot of flashes there where you could see that this guy does have some potential to develop into something of maybe a first-round type of talent on the defensive line here. You know, he's got a good size profile, like I said, and he's a pretty good athlete for that size as well. And that gives him the versatility to play in a variety of schemes and a variety of different positions, um, which is something that a lot of teams value in today's NFL. Again, a lot of teams are, a lot of teams are going to more nickel packages, but their base schemes are changing up quite a bit, and we're seeing a lot more of these uh, hybrid defenses more than ever now in the NFL. And he's a kind of a perfect match for that type of hybrid defense. You know, he still has a lot to work on as a pass rusher. Uh, he doesn't really have any counter moves. He relies pretty much 100% on his physical ability. So that's going to be something that needs to improve. Uh, very similar to Rashawn Gary. So Rashawn Gary was just a freak athlete coming out of college. Just uh, one of those guys that was just, even though he was a raw player, uh, was just too good to pass up, I guess, in the top 15 of the draft in that year because he was just so – so impressive athletically. Uh, Hutchinson, not quite on that level of Rashawn Gary, but a very good athlete nonetheless. Uh, one thing that I did notice for him as well was uh, he needs to get stronger against the run. Anytime you saw these offensive linemen double-team him, especially when he was playing inside, they would just wash him out of the play completely, and he was a non-factor. So um, maybe he's not the best fit to be a pure inside guy, but if he can get some bulk on his frame and, and mus- get some more muscle there, uh, he could be a guy that can play a little bit more of the inside, uh, a little bit on base downs. Yeah, I'm I'm curious where you, if, uh, where would you draft him today? Like what round, without any f- current development in the 2020 college season, where do you think he'd be worth drafting? Because personally for me, I I have him as right now a, a a third round pick, but also I think he has all the the skills and tools to really jump up in towards the the back end of the first, as you mentioned. But I'm just not sure he he's quite there already. I'd probably take him in the middle to late second round because there is a lot of upside there, and there's a lot of things that uh, you can work on with him and. Again, there is a good amount of upside there, depending on which scheme you're in, to be able to get the most out of a guy like that. Um, it's just a matter of can you put it together this next season and can NFL coaching help him really reach his potential at the next level? That'll be key for him there. Yeah, and, and just finding a really just a key position that he's able to, to fit and thrive into because – it is a little more difficult in the NFL to be switching around positions, especially on in the front seven. So just being able to find him a spot to, to plug and play would, would be extremely helpful for him. 
Yeah, yeah. One of my, my, my big things kind of comparing to Gary there because they play a similar type of, type of role there in that defense. You know, one of my biggest criticism of Gary coming out of college was that he seemed like a jack-of-all-trades but master-of-none type of player in the front of your defense. And it's kind of where I see Hutchinson right now. He's a guy that, like I said, generally had the production like, I, like we saw there. And, you know, that was something that a lot of Gary supporters would say that, well, he didn't have great production, but he was very disruptive because uh, he was moved all, all over the defense and defenses and opposing offenses had to account for him and game plan, game plan around him. Um, but again, I mean, if you're going to be drafting a guy in the first round, especially on the defensive line, you want to have that production. You want to have somebody that can finish plays and, and make plays for you in the backfield there. And he just hasn't shown that he could do that on a consistent basis, which is uh, going to be something that he's going to have to show that he can do uh, if he's going to be a first round pick. Because again, Gary was a really, really uh, impressive athlete. And for at his size coming out of college, which kind of propelled him to the first round. Hutchinson, very good, not quite a great athlete at this point. Oh, well, we covered a lot of prospects then in in this episode here, and we're starting to you know, wind down here and, and wrap it up. So uh, thanks for tuning in, Bears fans and draft enthusiasts alike. This is a, a fun episode to kind of start our preview series for the 2020-21 season. Uh, the next conference that we're going to be covering in this series will be the ACC. Uh, covering Trevor Lawrence specifically. That's something that I think I'm really looking forward to. So keep an eye, an eye out for that coming up soon. Uh, and make sure to follow us on Twitter as well, at Pace for Pace, uh, to stay updated on what we're doing, as well as to interact with us on polls and other Bears or draft-related discussions. Alex, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, they can find me at ablethen33. And where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at... AJ Freeman 25, that's capital A and a capital F, AJ Freeman 25. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.